You are about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on shockwaveskullsessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian. Shockwave Skull Sessions. Great cast. We got the one and only John Book. You like the way I say that? Punch in the sky. John Book. You got to do that. John Bush from Armored Saint, of course, is uh, our one guest. And our second guest is the one and only Don Jameson from That Metal Show, Comedian Extraordinaire. And you got a new show on Kubia's network. Uh, yeah, media, that Jameson show. So, that Jameson show, right awesome. on. I, I couldn't afford the other guys to bring them over with me, so it's just me for now. But uh, been having amazing guests on the show. John came on to promote uh, the new phenomenal Armored Saint album, Punching the Sky, which is still my favorite euphemism for pleasuring yourself. Well, there's that metaphor like as that. well. I was punching the sky. Yeah, I was punching the sky. Anyway, you know, that's pretty funny. That's my right. own. I don't represent the band, so. <laughs> so Kumia moved, right? Or is he moving to like North Carolina or something? Yeah, getting out of New York, man. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's it's you know, from what I'm hearing from you guys on the, on the West Coast, especially Los Angeles pretty much the same. It's like the walking dead there, man. Just everything's shut down or people, everything's out of business and crime is spiking. So a lot of people flee in New York, man. It's, uh, it's crazy. I live at the beach and they're buying up these townhomes and stuff, you know, where I live for like, you know, you know, a hundred grand more than the asking price. Cause people just want to flee the city, man. It's crazy wow. time, wow. man. That yeah. is insane. Yeah. So are you going to move as well? Or, do you, or that's a long travel for you to uh, go to the studio. Yeah, I have too much vinyl to move. <laughs> <laughs> My vinyl collection is too big. It's, it makes moving uh, not a possibility for me. Ah, there it's you fun. go. Still got the old school vinyl collection. So uh, John Bush. Uh, so you're just uh, chilling out. Any, any news with Armored Saint? I know you did that, that, that uh, killer whiskey show. Uh, and uh, you got anything else going on in the meantime? Uh, what we're doing right now is Joey is actually mixing um, the eventual live DVD slash record of the Symbol Salvation shows and tour that we did, um, which hopefully will come out maybe in the fall. Um, we never really like had a proper DVD of a concert. So we filmed a, a bunch of shows. And this one is primarily going to be the New York show that we did, which was at the... Uh, Gramercy, I believe, and um, and it'll be cool. It's sounding great, and uh, we just have to work on the video part of it. But uh, the, the 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 audio sounds awesome. Joey, you know, does a great job, of course, with everything he does. So that'll be a really cool thing to do because it was fun to to do that tour and um, and hear it back and stuff is great. So that'll probably be the next part of a uh, piece of product that Armored Saint puts out, and then you know, eventually we want to play and play some new songs. Right on. Oh, let's get started on this. Um, I, you know, I figured we'll just kind of talk metal, man. Talk some classic metal. Some of our, you know, I know we all kind of grew up on on the same kind of classic metal. So I said, you know, just pick five records 
that you thought uh, you want to discuss, uh, you know, some records that influenced you as a young, uh, young teenage boy, uh, you know, growing up metal. And uh, let's just, let's start, I guess, I, it doesn't need to be in any particular order. I decided, you know, to, to do all 70s and I decided, you know, I was telling, and John, uh, I just did all studio records because, uh, you know, just my pick because we, we had done a, a previous one on, on live records. So I just picked studio records and I, I didn't want to do two of the same band. Like I could have had like three Black Sabbath records in my thing, yeah. but I, I decided to do one of each. So uh, anyway, let's start. Uh, let's go ahead and start with you, John Book. Go ahead and uh, oh. discuss. Oh, I, I forgot my list. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think I kind of remember your. Oh, we didn't. List. I didn't write uh, it down like a dummy. You right? wanna, okay. I think you organized. Well, I can start if you want. While John, no, yeah, Don, asking me about some records. Okay, yeah, well, go, let's, let's start with Don. <laughs> well, Bob, no, you, you, and you're 100 percent right. Like five classic albums, like you know, just in the A section alone of my collection, I could have picked five classic records right so it was it was so tough but of course since i was in in a and uh all right yes the vinyl, this is a good thing of uh powerage awesome or power each that's that's always been a thing what's the correct pronunciation i always called it powerage i, I think it, it is powerage, powerage. I, yeah. yeah most people call it powerage i think the band has called it powerage when they talk uh, about it so uh, but it kind of could have that double meaning too. The power age, power age. And it's right. weird. Hold up the cover again, there, Don. So why is the G E in the different color there? Is, is there some kind of something symbolic about the different color of the G E? I never thought power. of that. No. I mean, because if it was power age, maybe that would be yeah. age yeah. would be orange. Maybe they were maybe they were giving us a, a props to General Electric. That could be. Maybe they got an endorsement <laughs> deal with them. They maybe they did. <laughs> you never yeah, know. Little corporate, little corporate money for Angus. Yeah, maybe. early on they were thinking that. Wow. Yeah, Very you never cool. know. But, well, maybe I was going to say Germany, but that's DE for Deutschland. Right. So, because right. yeah, this, this is a German pressing, but um, oh, hey, cool. I mean. Uh, there was a point when we were doing that metal show where I, I, I guess I said on the show, you know, that this is to me, maybe this is the greatest rock and roll record ever. Greatest hard rock record ever. And somehow it ended up in the Wikipedia listing of this oh, album that uh, I had said that. So uh, I'm going to stick to my guns and, and, and say it again. You know, this album from top to bottom, look, you, there's not a dull moment. There's not a bad note. There's not, not one clunker on this album. Obviously, everybody knows Sin City. Um, you know, Gone Shooting was in the Beavis and Butthead movie. Um, but, you know, even the deep cuts, What's Next to the Moon? And I love that song. I love that song. There's nothing wrong with this album. It's, it really Kicked is. In the teeth. Kicked in the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Riff Raff is such a great song, too. One of my favorites. Yeah. With Riff Raff and... Um, yeah. You know, it's it's you're. I mean, you're right on the money with that one. That one is such a great album. It's just, uh, it's just, and it's so powerful. You know, it's just, it, uh, it's so raw and powerful. It's it's awesome. Yeah, great production. You're in good company because I think also on Wikipedia, Keith Richards says it's his favorite album. 
Oh, wow. So there you go. Keith Richards, John wow. Jameson, you know, <laughs> you're in pretty good company there, John. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I agree with you fully. That's probably, you know, I always go back and forth between that and let there be rock. I kind of like let there be rock because it's just start to finish every song in your face and just the raw production and the guitar tone is, it's so raw. And so when that came out in like 77, people didn't know, is this punk rock? Is this metal? It, it was like so new and exciting but then power edge just came out and just the songs you know you talk about sin city rip rap you know kicked into the what's next to the moon all the all the uh, gone shooting uh down payment, so, blues. down payment blues what a great song great lyrics i mean phenomenal lyrics from bon scott yeah. he just shines on it the uh the production's great it's got that various you know he's got that great combination of the bluesy feel like i say down payment blues and uh you know uh just a really great, great, great shoot. Because after you've just been pummeled by like the first six songs, yeah, and then shooting comes on, and you're just sort of like, Yeah, let me just groove to this. It's Total like you smoke, groove. and then all right, now back to the whiskey for the rest of the album. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it gets you, it gets you, you know, it's like a shot of steroids, then you cool down for a little bit, and then you take that last ride right through kicked in the teeth, and uh. You know, I know that Brian Johnson, you know, obviously he's always embraced the Bond stuff. I remember years ago, you know, they, they put oh. um, What's Next to the Moon into the set because Brian really wanted to sing that one live. So uh, it's good that even some of the deep cuts have, have still found its way back into the ACDC set. Now, if I'm not mistaken, um, I think that they opened in America for Aerosmith on that album. And I, tour, right? I did. I did not go to that show. Some of my good friends did, Henry and uh, some other people, because they were uh, they were actually more to Aerosmith. I don't even know if they knew ACDC at that point. But then ACDC came on as a support act, and they they tell the story as like, who the hell is this band? And holy cow, because the intensity was just <laughs> unbelievable. And um, and then you know the next album was Highway to Hell, and then but um. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I wish I went into that show. It's one of those shows among a few that I'm just like, oh, why didn't I go? But you did see the Highway to Hell tour, right? I did see Highway to Hell tour. Oh, but you were on an acid trip during that, I remember. I was not on an acid trip. (laughs) Somebody offered me a hit of a joint, and I took one hit, and then I just, I mean, I don't know what it was. It could have been like PCP or uh, the guy, I asked the guy, and he was like, it was, it's Colombian with hash oil. And I was like, okay, I need to leave. I actually literally had to walk out into the lobby because I couldn't take it. And then I'm sitting in the lobby. My friends come around me. They're like, are you all right? Are you all right? As the show is like, it was like the second song. And then, and then I, I, they're like, dude. And then all of a sudden, they, I think they went into Sin City. And we, like, I think the early incarnation of Armored Saint played Sin City as a, as a cover, one of the first songs that we ever kind of learned. And um, and they're like, dude, Sin City. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, let me try again. And I went back in. And, and I, 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 was, I was out of my mind, but then I, when I mellowed out a little bit and uh, enjoyed yeah. the show. Well, I, I was sober during that show. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was, that was my first show I saw. I was 15. And you're right by saying ACDC was very underground. Before that, they started getting a little bit of, of uh, uh, airplay during uh, 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 Highway to Hell. And uh, believe it or not, Caro Q was playing some early. They were one of the first stations that I remember playing ACDC. 
uh, prior to that, but they were were very underground. Uh, you know, they were playing the Starwood and the Whiskey back yeah. in, in 77, 77, you know, when, uh, and then they, they did get that Aerosmith tour. But yeah, I mean, uh, just unbelievable live band. But, you know, going back to, to Power Ridge, everything about that album is perfect. The songs, the production, the lyrics, the the guitar work is is just you know every song is is you know like three to five minutes, but just hits you in the face and and like you say, you got that balance of the kind of groovy blues stuff of the you know gone shooting to you know down payment blues to up to my neck and you to you know it's it's just a well rounded record, perfect album, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what happened to you, John? Bomb would have called breakfast. Yeah, he would have. Or just say. He would have called me a pussy, probably. <laughs> I'm glad you got went back in. Good for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good memories. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, John, going back to you now. Okay, I'll pull one out. I, I, I found my list here. Uh, okay, so uh, Jailbreak and Lizzie. Um, I'm sure that was one of Don's, or I'm sure he had a thin Lizzie on his list. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Great album, probably my first exposure, or actually, you know, maybe my first exposure might have been uh, Johnny the Fox, depending. I can't remember for sure, but if nothing else, it certainly went back to Jailbreak. But um, didn't see Thin Lizzy on Jailbreak, but saw them on Johnny the Fox. Oh, wow. They were opening for Queen at the, the Forum, Day at the Races Tour. So that was like 1977. And uh, that was amazing, of course. And um, you know, Phil with his his bass and the you know the uh, plexiglass that was kind of chrome, and he would shine the light on the crowd, which was pretty awesome. And um, but Jailbreak is just one of those records, you know. It has the heavy tunes like Emerald and Warrior, and you know, and and the title track. And then it has stuff like Running um, um, Running Back and Romeo and the Lonely Girl, which the cool thing about a band like Thin Lizzy, and it might have actually been sometime to their disadvantage, I think, um, at least in America, was that they could do those kind of things. They could do stuff like heavy tracks like a warrior and then do running back. And you'd be like, this is like a pop song, you know? And it might have created a little bit of uh, a little disjointedness to a simpleton type of listener. But if you were somebody who, you know, were would look a little deeper into music and hard rock or whatever, you would appreciate all of it. You know, that's what I my personal opinion. And believe it or not, I think sometimes Armored Sank has that issue sometimes and has through the years. But um, not putting us on the same level as St. Lindsay because they're here. We're like here. But um, yeah, what a record. It was amazing. Mm. Don, what are your thoughts on Jailbreak? Uh, listen, I, you know, I, I'm, I can't agree. I'm the guy that goes to... Dublin every year to visit thin, various Thin Lizzy things. So, uh, you know, that's, I was listening actually yesterday to, to Jailbreak. I hadn't put it on in a while. And, um, and I just, uh, I don't know, I still, I still get amazed by it. I really do. You know, um, for whatever reason, yesterday, Romy and the Lonely Girl was just really like, God damn, this song is great. Like, I already know it's great, but why it's even seems even greater. And I've heard it a million times. And um, and maybe Bob or, or even John, you might know this. Like, there's always a rumor that the, the single was supposed to be running back, 
And for whatever reason, it ended up being the boys are, are back in town. But that would kind of, kind of would make sense, right? Because running yeah. backs, yeah, totally. Hit single, but I don't think it ever was. That's funny. Yeah, that would have. Yeah, I don't think it's a whole different world if that would have happened. Obviously, boys are back in town is you know legendary track, so they probably made the right decision with that. Mm. Yeah. And I got I was lucky enough to um, go on the road with the Black Star Riders for about ten days in the UK. Uh, and open the shows up with them. And uh, my favorite part of the night, besides being on tour with Scott fucking Gorham, you know, like, which, yeah. how, you know, great is that? I mean, he called me John Damonson for the first three days. But um, after, <laughs> after we got to know one another a little better, the best part of the night was after the show, get back on the bus, get, get into the back lounge. And when the bottle of white wine was down to about half, that's when Scott would sort of lean and go, all right, I probably shouldn't tell you this one, but one time, <laughs> no. And then it would just be like this one incredible Thin Lizzy story after another. I never asked, but as soon as he had a couple of glasses of white wine after the show and he was relaxed, the Thin Lizzy stories would come out. And man, they're just. Oh, wow. Do you, have a, do you have one particular one that you could share? or? I don't think he would like me to share any of okay. these stories. All right, all right. <laughs> we'll, keep it, we'll keep it into the back bus. But needless to say, you know, he um, any story that he told, obviously about Phil, you know, the, the love for Phil still there oh, yeah. with Scott for all these years, and um, and they listen, you you listen to an album like Jailbreak, and and you can feel it, you know, that the chemistry with that band, um, there was a lot of friction, but there was a lot of love there too, man, and uh, yeah, ja Jailbreak, perfect. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think you know, a lot of people say, oh, Jailbreak is their most popular record and, you know, boys are back in town. But really, like you say, I think the band really gelled together great. I think that friction really helped them. And, I, you know, Don and I and uh, Brian Slager were on a great podcast. You can look it up here on the Shockwave Skull Sessions with, with Scott Gorham. We went through the entire Then Lizzie catalog. And I believe Scott said, or maybe it's when I, I spoke with uh, Brian Downey, I asked him about and this was a great thing about bands in the 70s. I asked him, you know, what John was saying, how the band could write such a diverse record with, you know, go from a, a folky pop song to a, just a crushing song like Emerald to, you know, a, a, an anthem like Boys Are Back in Town. And, and, you know, he said the same thing back then. You know, the labels let you do what you want to do. You know, you were in the studio and you could really do your artwork. And it was really before... You know, when I think when the 80s came around, maybe late 70s into the 80s, when FM radio started becoming big, everything became so formulated and the record companies kept pushing for the radio hit. But, you know, you talk to a lot of these people, you know, like, uh, like uh, you know, Scott Gorham or Manny Charlton from Nazareth, because they were kind of the same. They were all over the place. And they said, no, we just kind of did what we felt. You know, if we wanted to write, you know, a, an acoustic kind of pop song, we would throw that on. And. And that's what I think made these albums so special. They were just so genuine. You could hear that they were, there was no pressure from the label. And I think, you know, Jailbreak's a perfect example as you talk about the, the diversity in, in the songs and, and that a band could do it and do it so well, every single, uh, you know, style of music. And it just really shows the talent of Phil uh, and the entire band. I mean, Brian Downey, uh, Scott Gorham, and, you know, uh, uh, Brian Robertson. I mean, the whole band was just uh, on fire on that record. But yeah, again, a great balance of music. Uh, you know, Thin Lizzy has so many great albums. It's hard to pick pick a favorite. But 
I, you know, for me, I, I think uh, Jailbreak, uh, as far as just, you know, the live album is my is probably my favorite because I think that's one of the ultimate live albums. But Jailbreak, absolutely, yeah. man, killer record. Cool. Yeah. And Brian, then Brian Robertson was soon to be out, so that was that was really that's true. They caught the lightning in the bottle right there. Yeah, I yeah. think when um, when I saw them, it was Johnny the Fox, but it was still Brian on that album. Um, I yeah. think at that point it was Gary Moore touring with them. Uh, oh wow! Okay. From what I hear and what I remember, you know, <laughs> it was a long time ago, and this is, I think, what the. Were you the smoking story. anything then too? I mean, you know, <laughs> it was seventy-seven. <laughs> I was fourteen. You know. Well, you know, it's funny because those two albums were released the same year, and it was, you know, that that's what bands did back in the seventies. Yeah. They were kind of forced, and and uh, so I, I would imagine a lot of those songs are probably the same session. The Johnny the Fox. Uh, uh, Maybe. I think it was a different yeah. producer, though, wasn't it? Oh, you're right. Yeah. Well, uh, John Alcock, didn't he do both? Or maybe... maybe uh, Tony Viscotti? Wasn't that the guy? Oh, did Viscotti do that one? Did, did he do Johnny the Fox? Yeah. No, John, uh, uh, Jailbreak was definitely John Alcock. And I think oh, he right? did Johnny the Fox, too, if I'm not... But Don oh, really? now. We, we asked uh, Scott about that those the those, those sessions, too. I, I think he did say they were separate sessions, but the label kind of... After... Uh, Boys Are Back in Town became a radio hit. You know, that's what the labels do. Let's get back in the studio and, you know, kind of rush that on. But, uh, yeah, interesting. All right, let me see here. Go on my list. I'm going to go ahead and start off with uh, this classic record here. Uh, Judas Priest, uh, Hellbent for Leather, or in uh, England it was called... Uh, uh, what Killing machine, that's right. Killing machine, that's right. <laughs> and why is that? Like, what's the official reason? Do I heard that they couldn't, which is odd to me, that they didn't want to use the word hell in oh. in, in in England. But I, I would think it would kind of be the opposite. Like, right. uh, you know, you, you wouldn't want to use it here in the states because usually the states was, you know. Uh, but that that was my thing, uh, 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 from what I understand. Or they didn't think it would sell as well as Hellbent for Leather. But you know. Uh, to me, this album really, really defined uh, heavy metal. I mean, you could say, yes, we have Black Sabbath and bands like that. But I think until this record came out, no band really embraced the term heavy metal. And, you know, having a title track like Hell Bent for Leather. And this really brought on that whole heavy metal style and the look and the image with the leather and studs. And, and it was just such a groundbreaking record. I remember... Uh, uh, hearing this is really when I first got uh, really turned on to Priest. Well, I, I remember hearing Exciter uh, off of Stained Class, and uh, again they were super underground in the states. And, and again, it was Carol Q. I remember they did that show at the Starwood on this yeah. Hellbent for Leather tour, and the next day they had Rob Halford in the studio. And this is when you know bands would just come into the studio and just talk you know for like an hour or two hours and they're the djs just like playing tons of judas priest music and talking to helper and everyone's calling up oh man i saw that show at the starwood yeah you were you came out on your motorcycle on this and and that was the first time i ever heard uh, an artist actually say we are a heavy metal band someone asked you know what kind of what, how would you describe your music he's like we are metal and as you remember before then metal was kind of a bad term or was used kind of as, 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 as a diss, you know, oh, they're heavy metal art, you know, so even Black Sabbath, you know, no, Lemmy, no one wanted to be called heavy metal, but, I, you know, I'm hearing Rob Halford go, we are heavy metal. I'm like, oh, wow, that is cool. They're heavy metal. And, 
you know, this song just truly defines, I think, uh, the production's a little bit clean. Uh, James Guthrie, I believe he did work with Pink Floyd on the wall and, you know, major producer. They had a, a, a great, great songs. I mean, Burning Up, uh, Hellbent for Leather, uh, Green Man Alicia. What a great cover of a, a Fleetwood Mac song. One of the best uh, cover tunes, um, you know, and they had done Diamonds and Rust earlier. I think, you know, Priest just really knew how to metalize a great, you know, kind of a, uh, a pop song and uh you know everything on this album just rules evil fantasies uh you know you have before the dawn you get a, a couple uh songs that kind of bring you down but then it just brings you back up and just uh uh you know it, you know and again this album came out around you know the same time uh, uh acdc with power ridge and it was like judas priest and acdc they were the new breed back then yeah i was into you know ufo sabbath zeppelin purple you know, and then you get Judas Priest, ACDC, and, you know, I was turned on to Scorpions around that same time. But it was just like, wow, you know, this this is this this is the heaviest. This is cool. But absolutely. I, uh, uh, Don, what's what's your thoughts on that? Well, listen, I, you know, I ripped off their cover and their title and, you know, made it into Hellbent for Laughter for my second comedy right. album. <laughs> that, That's you know, that was, that was yeah. near my heart. Um, I think uh, you know. I think you're you're 100 right about you know Halford and the, the whole band. You know, really being one of the first ones to to state that we are heavy metal and and wear it proudly and still do to this day. Also, because the way Rob says it is so cool too. It's like we're heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Swing at That's the end. Yeah. I love when that guy talk. Yeah. How you doing, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, such an ambassador and gentleman uh, for our scene. And again, you know, when you wear on your sleeve like that, it, it, it's just such a great thing, especially for the fans. Um, for me, you know, um, you know, you can hear, you can hear this album is, is, is such the perfect album to bridge the gap between sort of them, like, you know, they work a little proggy, like Sad Wings of Destiny. Very much. And then more metal for staying class and now they're getting a little more towards the poppy stuff and, and really concentrating on songwriting three and a half four minute songs and then what you get right after this which naturally follows is british steel which is hellbent for leather but but just condensed down to the the the, the pure steel right it doesn't have for the dawns and those different flavors yeah um that that hellbent for leather has which which makes me like hellbent for leather a lot more and um and the last thing is you know the the story i always heard was the opposite of what you said bob which was it um it was killing machine obviously over in, in europe and in asia or wherever in that part of the world uh right. but, but for america they were told killing machine won't sell oh that so could I, be that could be yeah. So. Well, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, know, I know Armored Saint did a great cover of uh, Hellbent for Leather. Well, we, we played Hellbent for Leather a lot. Uh, we never actually recorded it, but we, we right. played it a lot live in the early days. And then um, we always used uh, Delivering the Goods as like our intro tape in the last couple of tours that we did, which is cool because it certainly pumps us up to go on stage. Um, so, I mean, needless to say, I'm very close to that record. I really think the cool thing about that record too is that um, it's it's pretty bluesy, you know. And I think that that especially the way Rob sang, 
And, you know, like songs like Killing Machine and, you know, Running Wild and um, Delivering the Goods, Rock Forever. You know, these are songs that <laughs> I wish they would write again, you know, with, with that little bit of a bluesy element. I think that as time went on, they kind of got away from that a little bit and felt a little bit more like they had to write these metal tracks. And, um, and you know, look, I'm, I'm, not, it's, it, I'm not saying anything negative at all. I mean, I love Screaming for Vengeance and, you know, everything, uh, so many other things that followed this album. But there was that element of bluesiness that on, on this particular record that I think is kind of limited to that for Priest almost at times. Because um, like you said, Don and I agree, you know, that Sin After Sin, same classic, we're almost like a little proggy at times. Sad Wings. I mean, you had songs like Epitaph and Dreamer Deceiver, which is amazing. Um, so they were very, you know, the, the songwriting and arrangements were a little bit um, more loose as far as the way they wrote those. But um, Hellbent, you know, is a little more concise and and had that, the way he sang was, was just like, and it's funny because I think of Rob Halford is very, especially in those days, very inspired by Robert Plant. And it's funny because I went on Wikipedia and looked recently about Halford I said some of his favorite singers was Robert Plant, you know, back in the day, of course. And you hear that. Like, you, I could hear Robert Plant singing some of those songs off Hellbent for Leather, which would be really cool to hear that. Of course, that's just some fantasy of mine. But, um, you know, I think that's something that I I really always, you know, I love staying class. I mean, I love Sin. I love Sad Wings of Destiny. You know, I, those records are super close to me, Unleashed in the East, of course. But Hellbent is the one record that I feel like kind of enters into that bluesier phase. And I, and I, and I miss that. You know, I miss that from them. Incidentally, it's, I, I believe uh, Rob Halford was one of uh, Robert Plant's favorite singers at the time. Uh, you, you might have heard the story uh, uh, when Zeppelin did the Day on the Green, their very last shows uh, in, uh, what, 79 or uh, something. I, I was probably on this tour. Uh, they invited Judas Priest to open yeah, up. Right, they, right. You know, and that was because uh, apparently Robert Plant was a big fan of of, of Rob Halford's uh, vocals. So wow. it kind of goes great. goes both ways. But I, I I do see what you're saying. I, I I love Priest how they did really kind of you know start off like you say a very proggy band. Then they went into this avenue, and and I never really thought of it, but it is there is some a lot of blue. This is probably the only Priest song where is that that kind of bluesiness to it. Uh, yeah, on, on it has like a bit of a boogie and a swing to it, even. Yeah, you know, even though it's heavy, so yeah. it's a, a. I never heard it put that way, John. That's such a that's such a great take on that album. Absolutely, and and yeah, and Halford's vocals on on uh, delivering the goods and some of those songs is just so powerful. That was just like, oh my god, who is this guy? Yeah, Un I mean, unbelievable. That, that pretty much, you know, cemented his place right there, you know. I mean, among so many other albums and songs and his voice, but, but like, that really, you know, he, he, I mean, he really is the king. He really, really is the king, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Don, why don't you go for your next album? Oh, look at that. Discuss. Ah, Motorhead. Is that the debut? Oh, oh. Cool. Oh, the live album. I just was looking at that cover yesterday, too. That's so oh, funny. Uh, no sleep till Hammersmith. Man, I mean, what can you say? It's uh, Motorhead's only number one album. Um, wow. You know, the, the cover alone has you in awe. You know, yeah. you got the bummer up there. And um, 
man, you know, obviously from top to bottom, phenomenal. One of the one of the great classic live albums uh, in hard, in the hard rock heavy metal genre. Um, and my favorite part of the album, and I used to do this with my friends all the time, and I still don't know what the answer to it is, and and uh, we'll never be able to ask Lemmy, unfortunately. But um, like right before the last song, Motorhead, before they play Motorhead, Lemmy steps up to Mike and he goes, "Just in case." Yeah. Friends would always wonder, like, just in case what? If you forget, <laughs> if you forget our name, that's what I always said. In case you don't remember who we are, you know. Just in case well, you get your ass kicked. Yeah. Just in case you haven't lost your hearing completely. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> it means so many things. But, uh, but yeah, obviously, uh, you know, Finn, Lizzie, Motorhead are my 1A, 1B favorite bands. And, you know, again, with a catalog like theirs, could have picked a lot of albums. But, you know, this was, again, this was their number one. And um, if we're going to go with a live album, that's a pretty darn good one to go with. It could have been a double live album, really. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure that wasn't the only songs from that show, because how many songs are on that the album? Like 11? There is a version that has the other songs on it. How many uh, more songs are on it, do you know? So there's 11 on this. Yeah. And I think like four, there's a version that has like four other songs on oh, it. Oh, wow. Do you know what those songs are, by chance? Um, you know what? If I, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to leave my box and go get. I think no, I have no, the no, other no. Don't leave your box. Don't leave. <laughs> all the I do have but, the bonus too. I think they on the reissues they they do have some live bonus. Well, must have been other maybe other Ace of Spades songs because that was the album. I think We Are the Road Crew was that one of them. No, that's on that. That's on that. Oh, that is on it. Okay, yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, maybe uh, Fast and Loose. I don't, I, you know, I don't remember either because I, yeah, but we'll have to go I'm back and check. I'm looking it up because you don't let me. <laughs> I, I like um, this one's dedicated to Little Filthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that on that one too. Me and my, it took years for me and my friends to decipher what Lemmy was saying there. And I, as we all know, having been veterans of Motorhead shows for decades. Um, it, you only picked up maybe about 25% of what Lemmy ever said, you know, because he just had that real thick uh, British, you know, twang. But, um, yeah, he says on that one, he says, um, this one's, uh, this one's, for, what does he say? He goes, uh, this one's for me and Eddie because this one's dedicated to little Philbert, right? That's that one. Then there's another one where he goes, uh, this one's dedicated to me and Eddie because Phil's already had one. But I can never understand what he said, but that's what he says in front of that one. Wow. And they do that, and they, yeah. Well, we saw Motorhead. I saw Motorhead open for Ozzy. I was at that show, Long Beach Arena. Right. And then they played the Country Club, like, a day or two after that. And we went to that. Excruciatingly loud to the point where it was inaudible at times. Matter of fact, I remember me and Phil Sandoval sitting there at the tables and, like, had her, you know, hands in our ears, um, fingers in our ears, because, well, for one, you could actually hear it then, because it was so, right. so loud that it was like, a, a, like I said, it was just inaudible at times. Like, I can't imagine how they actually were able to play together. It was so yeah. loud. And, um, and I remember them opening for Ozzy and, you know, Motorhead wasn't that known in America at that point. Yeah. So not on that. And, um, 
And I think the crowd was like taken aback by them for the they most part. They were definitely. They didn't. And again, the sound there was like this bombastic. It was just like, you know, the Long Beach Arena is a big place. It was just like uh, yeah. this ambient sound, and you couldn't decipher what they were doing. And I remember people after the show, what the hell were they? Were they punk rock? What the hell was that? It's like, no, yeah. it's fucking Motorhead, man. And right. And then and I remember like, uh, Lemmy said something like, are they uh, are they alive or something? And then yeah. and then um, Fast Eddie said, "I think they're deaf." Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> that was, it was pretty funny. Well, I knew I knew them, but a lot of people of I would say at least half, maybe more, probably didn't even know who Motorhead was. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I would. I remember I used to wear you know the Motorhead the jacket with all the patches and no a motorhead what did you work on cars what's a motorhead you know even this was after ace of spades you know uh it took a while before they you know in england of course they were huge like you said this was a number one record in, in england which is uh pretty astonishing uh they they were huge uh they ruled england uh they were the metal band in, in england and this was them at their prime and i i i think that the song motorhead is is one of the greatest live performances that just sounds so heavy live and uh you know i uh, you know i love you know i ace of spades that came out domestically i remember buying that for the first time that was like the heaviest album ever you know to hear as a kid it's like holy shit you know and every song brutal start to finish and uh but yeah as far as what you know what's cool on um this record too is um songs like capricorn and metropolis because yes. they're they're almost like Easy. Yeah, bluesy has those. You know, it's it's a little bit almost. I don't want to say ballad, of course, because that certainly would be misinterpreted. But those songs were not just crushers; they were a little bit more. You know, had a had a vibe, bluesy, uh, a little more ambient. I love those two songs in particular. The great songs. Well, Emmy says before Capricorn, he says, you know, hit this one's a slow one so you can get melted out, man. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, he had the greatest uh, phrases, him. And, you know, you could tell they had such a great rapport between the three of them. Uh, you know, I love watching that that classic albums uh, thing that they do on Ace of Spades and hearing Filthy and them joke together. And, you know, of course, all three of them have, have passed since. But you just see, you know, they, they broke up, you know, for years yet they get together and they're still like best friends, you know, talking about this record, you know, between Filthy, Eddie and, and Lemmy. And it was just such, so warm. Yeah, that's, that's a great one. Cool. So, uh, I'm going to use Ace of Spades, but um, it's framed and bolted to the wall in my bathroom. So right. I went for <laughs> Right on. Well, great choice. John. Okay. Um, I, my I, next one I saw on my list was uh, was uh, Love Drive from the Scorpions. Yeah. You mentioned that, and we're we're in that kind of time frame right there. So, um, Love Drive was the record that I think kind of introduced the Scorpions to at least the United States. You know, obviously they were known in America, uh, Europe, and and Japan. Um, and I believe it followed. Did it follow Tokyo Tapes? Yeah, it followed Tokyo yeah, Tapes. Right? So. Um, you know that was the record. I think maybe they're were they worth Mer Mercury before that, or because that album? I think they were still the RCA up up until okay, okay. I think uh, right. Love Drive was their first. So yeah. I think they were with Mercury there. I don't I don't know if Cliff Bernstein. I think Bernstein and Mensch either signed them or had yes. some, were managing them at that time. But again, this was like, yeah with Kreber uh, or Krebs, Kreber, uh, Lieber and Krebs, right? Because yeah. they were they they were part of that management. Yeah, they came together. Yeah, Peter were 
um, for like UFOs, scorpions, and then rush a little bit after. Right, yeah. Rush, yeah. But, um, you know, what a great record. It, you know, it was Matthias Jabs kind of coming in, but he wasn't playing on all of these because Michael played on some of those songs as well. Um, you know, really great tunes. Again, you know, we're able to play heavy songs I can't get enough and love drive um another piece of meat you know but also uh had holiday you know and um loving you Sunday morning and these songs that were a little bit more almost poppy you know if you will and um Klaus was just you know killing it on the voice and the production was amazing and um you know it uh, I think that animal magnetism follow that if i'm not mistaken and it, it has yeah. it had probably a little more success because it had like the zoo and more radio play but love drive is always the record i think that is the most special as far as you know following the yuli years for me as far as the scorpions go agreed. yeah agreed and that's the that's the one that broke them in america and you know they didn't nobody you know i'm probably one of the few people in jersey where i grew up that even knew there was the uli john roth era and here's this <laughs> new version of the band basically um you know that the only person anybody here really knew was michael shanker who had obviously made a name you know with ufo here prior to that so um but nobody really knew about the early years you know and you know tokyo tapes like the we could, any of us could have picked that album as well as a classic but um but you're right john for the importance of of the scorpions break in america love drive was the album yeah, I agree. But you're right, because they were very underground here, because I, I, this was the album I got turned on to the Scorpions, but I had heard about them before. Uh, you know, it's funny, because nowadays, you know, uh, no label, I mean, even when there were record labels still around, uh, you know, throughout the 80s and 90s, they, no one would let a band do five or six records as they did with Uli Roth before breaking, you know, because it took them that long. ACDC, same, even Judas Priest, the same. It took them, you know, several records before they actually broke into America, but the labels kept with them and the band evolved and they, you know, and, and that was a great thing with Scorpions. I mean, obviously the Uli Roth era was was uh, amazing, but it was a different band. It really had a Hendrixy influence, more of a very 70s vibe. And I think this album, I believe, came out in 79, but it really introduced, it was one of the heaviest albums. I mean, you talk about I Can't Get Enough. That was one of the most slamming kind of introduction to like the speed metal the riffs you know i mean just such a heavy tune and love drive just a, a anthemic song and uh uh i believe they toured with ted nugent here and that oh, kind of was, i was just gonna ask that about touring yeah they they did uh, ted nugent. On that. certainly didn't see him in a in LA, I don't think I missed it. They did, I think, Long Beach Arena or the LA Sports Arena with Ted Nugent because I, oh I talked to some people, but it wasn't well advertised that Scorpions were on the bill. Uh, oh. but uh, and I remember talking to Herman Rarebell about that. He said that you know that's what broke them in America because they had never been to America before, and it was just you know, and it was uh, Krebs and 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 uh, Bernstein and them that that brought them over. What Ted the, Nugent uh, record was that? It was probably uh, Weekend Warriors, I would think. Weekend Warriors, really? Did that, or did that come out in eighty? Uh, no, know. I think uh, no. Uh, it was probably because uh, seventy eight was uh, was still Cat Scratch Fever. Might have been. It might have been the Double Live Gonzo. Uh, Weekend Warriors might have, because they probably toured in 80. That album came out in uh, 79. So I think that score was in 80. 
What's that? 78 Weekend Warriors was 78. Oh, was it that early? Okay, so it was definitely the Weekend Warriors tour because, yeah, it was. Uh, State of Shock was 79. Okay, well, there you go. Wow, I'm way off. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably my favorite Scorpions record, too, just because it's got, like you said, it's got everything. It's got a great ballad, a holiday, uh, one of the first, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, real straight on uh, uh, rock ballads. Um, great album, great guitar work. And it's got, like you said, Matthias, I think, plays on some of it uh, after Shanker left. And Shanker plays on a good part, you know, Coast to Coast. What a great instrumental. Oh, yeah. uh, loved, right? Loving You Sunday Morning. Such a classy tune, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, great, great album. Uh, Don, uh, uh, would you remember anything? Oh, I guess you talked a bit about this album. Was there anything else you wanted yeah, to add? Yeah, the only last thing I'll add is about Matthias is like, he, he really was the secret weapon to mm -hmm. making them sort of, you know, this the, the, the sound that we came to know from the Scorpions in terms of his guitar work. Um, as he as he once told me, um, we, we, we had dinner with the Scorpions when I, Jim and Eddie and I, and he said, uh, we were talking about, Uli's name came up, and uh, Matias said, he goes, the, the difference between us is one of us worships Jimi Hendrix and the other thinks he's Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's no. great. That's a great line. Well, you're right about Matias. I think he's such an underrated guitar player. And obviously, to follow the footsteps of both Uli and Michael Schenker is, you know, is, is, is got to be tough. But I think yeah, he, sure. he's just got such a classy edge. He's just he's so much taste in his guitar work. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he did bring that more commercial appeal. I think, uh, I think you're right to the Scorpions, especially with the albums that follow Blackout in particular. Yeah, cool, definitely. Well, I guess, uh, I am up here. What do, what do I have here for this? Well, I got, I don't even have the CD with me. Uh, UFO Obsession. Um, you know, again, if I was going to go with the UFO, it'd probably be the live album, of course, Stranger Than the Night, one of the greatest live albums ever, uh, ever released, I think. But Obsession. Such, you know, it's either between that or, or, or uh, uh, Lights Out as well. They're very, very kind of similar. Ron Nevison produced both. Uh, unbelievable production. Uh, but I think the production on Obsession, Michael Schenker's guitar tone, it's got that such that thick, wet kind of uh, ambient. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it just breaks through the speakers on his leads. And it's just every song on that record, uh, you know, again, such a class act. I mean, uh, I think it was the band really at its prime. Uh, I, I, it, again, I always flip flop between that and and uh, uh, the uh, Lights Out record. I mean, Love to Love, I think, uh, along with Judas Priest, Beyond the Realms of Death, the greatest rock ballad ever written. Uh, and on this album, you've got Looking Out for Number One, very similar with the strings and, and all that. Not as good as Love to Love, but then again, you got Pack It Up and Go, one of my favorite songs, Hot and Ready. Uh, you know, of course, uh, Cherry. Cherry, what a great tune, classy tune. Uh, you know, and again, as, as a little, was that? It's such a weird tune in a way, you know, it is. and it's yeah. in the set list. Yeah, absolutely. And Phil Mogg's lyrics, uh, uh, so overrated, such a great lyricist and uh, always has a great kind of sense of humor about his lyrics. And uh, uh, I just, all in all, I think that album is just perfect. Just uh, such a killer killer record start to finish yeah. mm. uh comments john bush oh good let john go oh, okay go ahead don well, I, you know what i don't have that much more to add to him i i, I agree I, to me i i really <clears throat> excuse me if someone said what ufo album should i listen to to really 
like, you know, get a hard on for Shanker's playing, I would tell them obsession. You know, I, I think that I agree with you hundred percent on that. To me, that's, that's his playing in a nutshell. Um, I love the variety of the songs. Like I said, Cherry, I don't know why Cherry's this, it's such a weird song. It's such a, like yeah. it stands out from all the other songs. And, and, um, and like I said, they still play that song live to this date. And um, yeah, there wasn't any real big hit off of there. Which, Only You Can Rock Me kind of was a radio hit. And that kind of played off the Too Hot to Handle, yeah, in America. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say Lights Out because even in America that, that song got radio play. But nothing on this really did. Maybe, you know, that's why this album, I would put this one on always before Lights Out. I just, yeah, I just think this is the better overall record. And you're right, Ron Nevison's production is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. What was cool about it, it sounded like, um, and I don't know if they did this, I did, I don't have any background for this, but it almost like they told Shanker, doodle throughout the record. Like, yes. just always like play some, you know, uh, notes that uh, kind of embellish like a vocal line. And so he did that. It was weird because on every song, there's just a lot of doodling uh, and always very tastefully done in between vocal lines and um, little segments. Uh, there's just a lot of little things that really make it super unique uh, to his style. And um, and uh, that was the thing that I always hear when I hear that record. Um, so, um, you know, it, Michael Schenker, he's you know, arguably the, the most underrated rock, you know, hard rock guitar player of all time, at least in my opinion. Um, and, you know, it, it just, it, the, the songs are really cool. There's definitely some, you know, deep tracks, Ain't No Baby, and you know, like you said, uh, you know, uh, One More For The Rodeo, you know, yeah. kind of different. Great you know, beat, yeah. You know, just like deep tracks and stuff that, like we've talked about in, a, in association with a lot of these records from that time that were just um, not an obvious hard rock song, you know? And, but again, that's the beauty of it all. And, um, but you know, you have the hot readies and, and, you know, songs like, you know, pack it up and go that are just this really powerful tracks. And I think they opened another show among the many that I didn't go to. Um, but remember Judas Priest at the start with one that I'll, I'll kick myself for the, for the rest of my life for. But, um, uh, I think they opened for Blue Oyster Cult on that album and they played the forum and, um, I wanted to see UFO more than Blue Oyster Cult because I was more into UFO, but, um, I just don't think my mom let me go. <laughs> so yeah. I wonder if Shanker played that because he was kicked out not long after or after a live record. Yeah, right? he was, in and out. He did play on that album because then I saw the No Place to Run tour, and which is yeah. one that uh, made an open. No, um, they they uh, made an open the other tour. Uh, oh, they the, the, uh, uh, no, uh, it was the uh, Wild and Willing tour made an open. Oh, okay, so. But I did say no place to run. Yeah, that was with Sue Sad and the next. I don't know how I remember wow, that, but it was really? some band. That, yeah, that yeah, opened up. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember that was one of my my first shows too, and that was an yeah. amazing show. And yeah, it was great. And again, they did two nights at Long Beach Arena, and people like to say, you know, how underground UFO was. I'm going two nights at fucking Long Beach Arena. That's pretty huge, you know. That is. And that huge. was with the Paul Chapman era. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was right. right. So, and I mean, that's a cool record as well. But of course, you yes. know, you know, as we've said, like some of these people have to follow 
legends, it's not easy. And Paul Chapman had, you know, that kind of difficult task. But um, yeah, I never saw him with Shanker until they did the reunion run. That was run at the palace. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was there with you on one of yeah. the nights. Yeah. yeah, we were pretty hammered. <laughs> but I agree with you about Shanker's playing on that. I mean, people always go, oh, like Eddie Van Halen or or Ingve Malmsteen. They just play to play over the shit. You know, or at least Ingve Malmsteen does in, in a way. But Shanker's playing is so tasteful. It's just like, wow, that is just the perfect little, it's not just, you know, mindless noodling. It's like, it just fits. It's just so tasty as playing. And that's what makes it a, a, such a great guitarist. It's, he's got this feel. It's not just all about technique or hammering or doing this. It's just a, it, it follows the lyrics, like you say, yeah. so well. It, it could just be lyrics. one note. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's something as simple as that. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, uh, I guess a Don. Uh, yes. What's next on your from list? Australia to England. And then. Oh, yes. Yes. And look at that guy on the cover. I mean, <laughs> who, the mighty Tyor. We're going to go with this. We're I don't know. Well, the last out, well, actually, all their albums, you know, Narita had it with an axe, you know, this big fat seal with an axe. And this is going to be our next cover. There you go. <laughs> the mascot. <laughs> I think that's great, though, because you look at that, you go, there's nothing metal about this, but then you put it on, and here's sourcing tequila right at the fire down under. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. But go ahead, Don, lead off on Fired Out Hunter. Yeah, that's, I mean, and, and I was uh, lucky enough to get it um, signed by uh, wow. great Mark Reale, that's who, awesome. uh, who uh, we had on that metal show, um, yeah. and he passed a short time later. So I'm very honored that, that he put his, his signature on this record because um, all these years later, it's still one of my favorites. I put it on often. This is an original vinyl. You could, I mean, it, uh, you, you won't be able to see really on here, but you could, you could see where the album as you know, you could see the outline of the actual record through the cover now because it's so worn. Um, but the album still sounds great on vinyl. It's another one. There's really, you know, there's there's no weak real moment in this at all. Um, even the 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 flashback song at the end, mm. um, you know, made as a tribute to um, the DJ over in England. You know, that kind of broke them over there. Um, Neil K. Would that be Neil K. Yeah. Yep. So that that was done as a tribute to him, but uh, from Swords and Tequila, and uh, again, this is I, I think there's a common theme with all these albums, which is um, these classic albums anyway, and why we still listen to them is because there's so many different textures and flavors and layers to the stuff. So you you get the the, the one two punch in the face from Swords and Tequila, Fire Down Under, and then you get feel the same. Which kind of takes you down a little bit, you know, and and that's in this album you kind of bounce up and down on, uh, but it's heavy through and through. Lots of great melody, lots of just great classic Les Paul playing by Mark Reale. Nice clean uh, Les Paul tone on there, and uh, you know didn't didn't last all that long, but um, you know with with Guy Sparanza anyway, he decided to go back and be an exterminator for right. some reason. You can make this album and then decide I'm going to go straight up instead. But that's more of a commentary on the music business, I guess, than anything else. Yeah, yeah. what a great singer he he was, you know. And um, 
it's you know that that record for in the in the people who are in the know they know that record is like one of the best metal records and hard rock records in a, that in, in American rock I think absolutely. Um, but you know it's just it's a still underrated really for that matter still underrated. Um, I mean, Riot certainly. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is was way bigger in in Europe than they were in America ever. Castle um, Donington, they, yeah, Castle Donington, and um, on the first album, wasn't it? They played on the first on, album. Uh, or was it on Narita? I think it was on Narita. Narita. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Narita. 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 Yeah. Road Race. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And um, you know, and why did he quit the band? Because well, he, he could make more money being an exterminator. Yeah. Yeah, and then do we think that killed him? I, I probably they they think it because he had cancer, yeah. like lung cancer. Yeah, back then when you were an exterminator, you didn't have all the you know. Uh, healthy, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right. I think it was a show they did in after they did. I remember reading a, it was a great article, a recent article I, I read about them, and all they got all the surviving members at Sandy Slavin talking about that. They said just after one show, I think in in Texas, guy just said he had enough. You know, he had enough with the music business. And they, that band was under a lot of pressure uh, by everything. And they said just after the show, he says, hey, this is my last show with the band. And and that was it, you know. And then he just went off and never, you know, uh, it was did done. They ever, did they ever play L.A. on that album? Do you know, Bob? Was I don't I know. I don't know about if they ever did L.A. I know they canceled uh but I think that was still with Rhett Forrester. I remember seeing him at the concert factory with Brett Forrester. You guys played with him when we went to Arizona at the Nightline. Oh, no, no. They played the previous day. We went and saw Riot at the Nightline in Phoenix uh, when we all went to Arizona. When we were right, like but that, wasn't, that was with that was with Rhett Forrester. Rhett Forrester, yeah. That was Restless uh, uh, Breed. But, no, but uh, back to that, I'm, I, I don't know if they ever did uh, – I know, supposedly they toured like with Sabbath, they toured with a bunch of bands. Like in San Antonio, Texas, they were huge. Certain, because they had DJs, certain places. I heard that album actually did go gold eventually. Wow. Uh, Fire yeah. Down Under. So, uh, but I agree. Great. I, th I think that album literally right up there with the first Van Halen record or the first Montrose album as, as best American metal records. And that is the perfect record. I think that album was actually recorded in like 79, but they went through all these politics. Capital, Capital said this is way too heavy. They dropped them. Then they got picked up by Electra and they waited. So I think the actual release date wow. was 81. But, but if, I imagine if that came out in 79, how, how heavy that would have been at that time. But Don, did it, you yeah. ever see him with, with Guy Speranza? No, never got a chance to. No. And, uh, it's so funny, and yeah, they did do. There's on YouTube. You can find a. There's a riot documentary, and it, the the common theme was kind of like, you know, Guy Speranza was never really that into it, yeah. and it's like, wait, the, the guy that sang this album yeah. is not that into it. Okay, I'll take I'll take this not that into it than you know most people who are way into it. But apparently, it just wasn't a big thing for him, uh, which is amazing when you have this. Gorgeous, you know, like Brad Delp kind of, you know, from Boston kind of voice of yeah. you know, that in the high range and and could do all kinds of stuff with it. That he just it just wasn't that important to him. But um, look what we got, you know, we just yeah. we got an absolute classic out of him. That's yeah, well, I think he uh, he uh, had said that uh, you know he had a family to support, uh, you know, wife, and I think he had kids and. 
he wasn't getting paid in Riot. He wasn't, they, they were ripping him off. You know, the, the record companies or the management or whatever it was. He said he just couldn't really, you know, he was barely making ends meet. And he had a lot of pressure from the wife and everything. Hey, you know, get a real job. So become an exterminator. It's, it's a sad story. Uh, yeah, that, that whole Riot story is a very sad story. Yeah, and they well, have been he he left a great legacy with the music for sure. Absolutely, awesome choice. Yes, John Book. Um, I think this is uh, one of my last records here, and I do got a piece so bad. Oh, anyways, um, uh, I think it was. I told uh, Bob, I think let's do uh, Made in Killers. I you know even though that we were getting out of the seventies a little bit. Hey, hey, um, but. Uh, Killers is, you know, such a great record. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's the record that, you know, obviously the, the second one with Deano and, um, and the record that, you know, there was his last record, of course. Um, and, you know, Bruce is incredible, of course, and, and did so many uh, awesome things as well. And I love, you know, Number of the Beast, but Killers is the one that is just, um, again, a little more in the know for for certainly people in the U.S. I mean, at that point, Iron Maiden was blowing up, you know, and we're starting to in America for sure as well. But um, you know, there's just so many great songs to the Killers record. Um, you know, it's it's just kind of undeniable. You know, and uh, and Diano sounds great on that album. He, you know, he really does. So I always say, Kiss was my gateway. Kiss Destroyer was my gateway album just into hard rock in general, but specifically Killers was my gateway drug into heavy metal, very specifically. I picked up that album, looked at the cover, and I said, I don't know what this sounds like, but I'm buying it and taking <laughs> it I know you're gonna like it. <laughs> and I just knew I was getting the three chords into Ides of March, I'm already sold on it. And um, yeah, I, I, to me, if you still ask me to this day, what's your favorite Maiden album? It's it's still killers for me. It's still that that album that just like oh man, no, you know, no disrespect for all everything afterwards, but that's still the album that just does it. Yeah, I agree. It's awesome. John, John why don't you go take a pee? Take a pee. <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, so I, I know how that is when you're in the middle of a podcast and I go, oh, man, I gotta piss. Uh, but no, I I I, I agree with you about uh, uh, killers. I remember. Uh, uh, when that came out, that album cover is like, and and it mixes everything. You got the pro, still the progginess, Steve Harris's love for progginess, and you got the new wave of British heavy metal, this new metal sound. And then you, even though Steve Harris will deny it to this day, you have that punk edge of Paul Diano. He's got that punk attitude and that delivery and in, in, in his voice, and he had that real rough London accent. He wasn't a great singer technically like a like a bruce dickinson uh was but he just had that attitude and that edge and it he fits so perfectly yeah yeah you know but you know bruce is the is the siren and yeah. you know paul was the, you know the guy that would walk off stage and and kick your ass in the alley you know he was a, exactly. a punk oh you know, he wasn't a finesse fighter right yeah absolutely Go ahead. ahead on Killers. That okay. was quick. Are you, what was that? What I said was that was a quick one. <laughs> well, well, I'm drinking this like we're starting this like little juice cleanse because nice. uh, for me, I need some help. And so my wife has is, is got it together for me. And she, 
Yeah, this is a broth. It's like a beef broth. Oh, right. But bone broth, bone broth. But um, yeah, I just need to do that. So I'm going to be peeing a lot, even more than I normally do to go with my coffee. But nobody needs to know any of this. Sorry. Um, but killers. Yeah. Saw them open for um, UFO. UFO. That yeah. Right. I said that earlier. So and and that was awesome. That was all Long Beach Arena. Um, and I think they opened for Maiden. Did they open for Maiden, or was that the next record? I mean, uh, uh, Priest. Excuse me. No, they opened for Priest. No, no they. Uh, it was that tour. They uh, here in the states they opened for. Uh, uh, I mean, here in California they opened up for UFO. But I think elsewhere, like in Texas and other places, they opened up for Priest. So I think it was the same tour. In Jersey, uh, they did for sure. It was my first first heavy metal concert was Iron Maiden on the Killers Tour, Priest on the Point of Entry Tour yep. at Asbury Park Convention Center. And there was three, got three Jersey boys, young men with mullets, who would all uh, later team up together to do that metal show, but didn't wow. know each other at the time. Uh, all the at the same show and all got the same impression from it, which was life-changing, you know, to yeah. see that show. And then, um, you know, shortly after to see you know, obviously Maiden then, then they, they then become the headliner and then go out on their own tour once Bruce got in, uh, of their own headlining tour once Bruce got in the band and uh, Number of the Beast blew up. So, but yeah, that, that concert was, uh, I, you know, I can still remember it like it was yesterday because I was what, 15, I think, and I wasn't drinking or doing anything to excess at that point. So that concert I'll always remember. Yeah, yeah. that was great. That was a great show, but yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, what more can you say about that? But that tour was, uh, you know, they opened up for UFO, and sad to say, they they blew UFO away, and I wasn't really expecting that. But there was this hunger; you, you knew that there was something new coming across, oh, yeah, you know, sure. from Europe, and that that really. I mean, we all had the underground tapes, and, and 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 you know, you had Motorhead came with Ozzy, I think, a few months before then. Then Maiden came, then Saxon came to the whiskey, and and uh, of course uh, Metallica opened up those two shows, and uh, you know, then Girl School came over. They served, but when when Maiden came over and opened up for UFO playing the arena and just stole the show, you're like, wow, this yeah. is the new, this is the new sound, this is something really cool songs on that album too, like uh, Innocent Exile and um, Genghis Khan. Weird, you know, arrangements yeah. of instrumental and. Um, uh, you, you know, uh, Purgatory was always a really cool song. And, um, you know, again, a lot of cool deep tracks on that album. You know, Rap Child and you know, Killers and uh, Murders in the Room Morgue is, is a really great song. And Drifter in the set list for a long, long time, even with Bruce for, for many, many years. Yeah. 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 And I remember that, that uh, concert, they used to show it some, on MTV, believe it or not, uh, where they did like Rap Child and, and, uh, uh, I think one of the other songs uh, at the Rainbow, live at the Rainbow with Diano, and still one of the greatest. You know, back then especially, you never saw anything that heavy on on MTV. And that 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 full concert, I think it's like a half hour, live at the Rainbow in England, and just unbelievable. And you know, definitely miss Clyde Burr. You know, yeah. nothing against Nico; he's amazing, of course, and and obviously has been a mainstay for Maiden for all these years. But Clyde Burr did have a unique style that was just really different as a drummer. And I don't know what it was, but he just had this particular uh, uh, style that was, I don't, I don't even, I can't even de determine how his 
his playing was, it was maybe even a little jazzy, I don't know, but, um, you know, very fast in the way, you know, he played the hi-hat and a lot of rolls, but things were not fast as in fast, like a blast beat in any case, but just a really quick hands. And, and that certain style, um, it, you know, it, it, once he wasn't part of the band any longer, it, it, it I think it was, it, it, they were missed that, uh, they missed that a bit because of his, um, uh, it just was really unique to the way he played. So agreed. And it's amazing how a drummer could change the sound of a band and ch change the direction a little bit. You know, you go back to Judas Priest when they had, you know, Les Binks to Dave Holland, you yeah. know, came to more of a straight 4 4 heavy, you know, and then, uh, you know, even before then with, you know, Simon Phillips, who was more of a jazz drummer on the uh, Sin After Sin record, you know, a, a, a drummer can change the dynamics. Of, of the sound of the band, yeah, uh, definitely, sure. and, and, and definitely in Maiden's case, I think so, uh, uh, for yeah. sure. Do you guys have uh, a time to go? I don't know why I was thinking ten albums each. I mean, we could barely get through the five. You guys got you guys got a, uh, a few more uh, minutes. We could go through uh, the the remainder here. We'll kind of yeah. You want to go have down? Like another ten minutes or so? Okay, okay cool. Uh, I I got uh, you know got to have a Zeppelin album in there. Physical graffiti. Uh, I just thought was the pinnacle of, of Zeppelin, a double album. And what I think makes this album, you know, everyone could, could argue, oh, Zeppelin 4, this and that. But you come to Physical Graffiti, you have a double album, and every song on that album is completely different. It's completely off. It could have been like, you know, 20 different bands playing, you know, on, on this record. I mean, it was just so completely diverse. But it all just flowed together for that double album, the sequencing, everything. It was like, uh, you know, you got from Kashmir to In My Time of Dying, uh, one of the greatest songs to the Wonton song, such a heavy, to, you know, a Boogie with Stew, you know, <laughs> Black Country Woman. Uh, you, got, you know, I mean, just such a diversity. Night Flight, just this kind of happy, poppy song. The Houses of the Holy. It's a great song. Ten Years Gone is amazing. Ten Years Gone is amazing. Sick Again. I mean, you could just go on the rover. I mean, just and, and it's got so many songs that for Zeppelin that are, are are just kind of undiscovered classics in a way. But you listen to those songs and then you realize, uh, you know, because you go, oh, man, I'm sick of Zeppelin. Oh, they've been overplayed. Then you listen to that record. And you go, God damn this. You really see how, how great this band was, uh, you know, and. I don't know for for a double album to be that diverse and it's you know very few bands could do something like that like a, a zeppelin uh you know no doubt what are your thoughts uh don oh yeah i, I it's i don't it's it's on my um turntable right now so uh, i uh I, it's, it's in my immediate plans to listen <clears throat> um yeah what how does how do all these songs fit together they yeah. just do I, yeah. I don't know what the explanation is. It's just, it just is pleasing to the ear, and the disparity uh, doesn't bother me at all. It, it seems still seems to flow for whatever reason. You're right. It's it's a double album to me. It's 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 their greatest musical achievement. Um, when I lived in um, the East Village in New York for many years, I lived three blocks from the apartments that are featured oh, wow. on the. Front oh, that's awesome. And uh, I took a picture there a couple of years ago with a couple of the guys from Saxon because they had never been down there. And, um, you know, when we were kids, we thought that must be, you know, some mansion in, in England somewhere. And it turns out it's just a bunch of apartments on East 8th Street and St. Mark in New York. So uh, 
that was really cool. I just, yeah, I live right near the physical graffiti apartments, you know. That's right. Um, so I love that one. And last note, um, Trampled Underfoot. Ah, yes. Listen to Trampled Underfoot and then listen to uh, the Doobie Brothers, Long Train Running. Same song. Oh, really? Wow. Same song. Wow. I'll have to, wow, that's interesting. I okay. never I noticed I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that after the podcast. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. John Bush, your thoughts did, on us. Did Zeppelin cool. ever, I don't, did they tour on that album? Yeah, I was so young then. This was 76, I think. And I no, don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I know a lot of those songs were uh, supposedly from the Houses of the Holy session. Hence the song Houses of the Holy appears on Physical Graffiti. Right. Supposedly that was done. And there's an well, interesting thing about that. There's a lot of different producers on that record. So they were done in different sessions. I think there's Eddie Kramer, Andy Johns, and even Ron Nevison, I think, was engineering uh, a lot of the stuff on that record. Um, but I don't know. I, I believe they toured. Uh, well, because I saw them on the Presence Tour, which was the following year. Oh, wow. Big, you saw it was the big tour they, they yep. did. But I don't remember them touring on physical graffiti, but maybe I was just too young, actually, and believe I it. don't know. They toured House of the Holy, which, of course, was the song Remains the Same, uh, was right. off the House right. of the Holy. So right. uh, it's interesting. Maybe they didn't tour the States. I, I don't know. I don't recall. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a classic record, of course. What I've been doing lately is because um, I don't want to burn out on, on my own music because I don't know when I'll be performing it. So I've just been going through like my whole catalog from starting at A and I'm up to like L now. I think I still think I told you, that. but like I did Zeppelin. I mean, I did a lot of these records I've sang to them for sure. Um, I was just singing to Motorhead yesterday, but um, I did uh, some Zeppelin and, and I, I did physical graffiti among the other records. And um, I just, I, I probably forgot how good that record was. And again, the diversity, like you said, and uh, such a, it's a long album and, um, and, and it just never loses you. you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And in my time of dying, such a heavy, the heavy, I mean, the drums, you know, people talk about, you know, of course, when the levee breaks and all that, uh, uh, prior to that, one of the best John Bonham drum sounds, but I think in my time of dying, that is like the ultimate drum. It's just so fucking big. And, and that did, song is heavy, and did, heavy, heavy. Uh, Chris Corden, didn't Soundgarden play that on the, like their last show? Wasn't that the... In my time of dying? I don't, I don't know. I know they played that. I don't know if they played that often wow. on the last tour they did, but that, that there's definitely, that was in the set the before the before he took his life or how so this happened. was him doing solo not soundgarden i wasn't it soundgarden or was it soundgarden i think it was soundgarden. Oh, when they when yeah when they reformed wasn't it but wasn't, weren't soundgarden on tour when he when he yes yeah, yeah. They, it was yeah, yeah and i think they, that's it was in the set and i don't think it was wow. i mean obviously they didn't learn it that day because right. they must have known the song but it was kind of weird that they played that song that that night yeah! Wow! Interesting. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't hear. Which that. would have been amazing to hear Chris Cornell singing that song, of course. Yeah. No, yeah. He wouldn't have tackled. I don't think something that that heavy and obscure in his solo stuff. So that's um, true. <laughs> totally hear Soundgarden. Right. Crushing, crushing yeah. that song. I think you yeah. can find it on YouTube, actually. Oh wow! Yeah. I know they did a cover of "Into the Void," and I hate <laughs> that because they re completely redo the lyrics and the lyrics just because the lyrics on that song are brilliant. Geezer Butler's lyrics, 
and Chris Cornell redoes it, and and it just doesn't sound right. They, the lyrics don't flow; they don't rhyme. It's like, what are you doing? Why'd you change the lyrics to such a great song? You know, that is I, weird. I never, I never got that. that <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, Don, I guess uh, uh, next album. Uh, All right, last one for me, or what do we? Um, I don't. Is it the last or the second to last uh, for you? I don't know. All right, so. <laughs> Let me do, um, all right, I'll do this one. I love how you have them. Oh, dude. Oh, who's that? Never heard of him. Nobody oh, has heard of him. All right, cool. <laughs> Hit, a hidden gem. Armored St. Badlands. Interesting. Awesome. There you go. You got our singer right in there. Yeah. Obviously in Kiss. You got Jakey Lee. Um, obviously the... Uh, Greg Chason. Infamous Ray Gillen right there. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, well, we all kind of know the story with Ray, but if you're just looking at this album or listening to this album, um, it uh, just has a, 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 an incredible musical experience. This is, you know, Jakey e. Lee coming out of Ozzy and putting this together. You can, it's, this is almost impossible to find on vinyl because they stopped printing the Badlands albums. Yeah. And um, the label was that on again? Atlantic, oh, but it was weird because it was on Titanium Atlantic, yeah. which was Andy Setcher from Hit Parader's label. And I heard they kind of had run ran out of money or something because you're thinking that album should have been huge because that was a great album, especially for the time. Jakey right out of uh, a Sabbath, I mean, out of Ozzy, and and you know Ray Gillen did that little stint with Sabbath too. Uh, uh, Eternal Idol, the Eternal Gillen, you could actually find that online. Uh, but yeah, I think a tremendous album. But I think Titanium, I think because they lot because they were getting a lot of MTV, a lot of radio for a while, and then it just kind of dropped. I, I think the label, something with the label, it didn't. You know, they didn't. Uh, they ran out of money, or they okay, budget's done. You know, kind of thing. Wow, it's, it's a shame. Yeah. But just, uh, just top to bottom, obviously, again, Dreams in the Dark was the big video that you saw on, on MTV. And, yeah, um, yeah I mean, you know, uh, I don't know what else to say about it. It's it's just uh, – it's it's another one that, like what John said about uh, Fire Down Under. For people in the know, they know. Yeah. You know, this is uh, – you know, it was never a huge album, but, but for true uh, hard rockers – in the know, this is in everyone's collection. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember seeing Jakey Lee with Rat, you know, and, yeah. and and knowing at the Troubadour and going, that guy is great. He has just so much charisma. Um, you could just feel it, you know. You could just feel like that guy's going to be a star right there. And um, and he he was awesome. And um, you know, then Ozzy plucked him, and and that was a good decision for both of them. And um, you know, then he went on to do his own thing there. And it was, did they ever, did they make a follow-up record to that? They did the Voodoo Highway. Oh, Voodoo uh, Highway. I remember that. Yeah, which was a, a decent record, but it didn't get yeah. near the traction of right. uh, uh, the debut. And I think. Was that also that, on Atlantic? I think so, yeah. Wasn't know. it? Uh, Don? I think it was. I don't remember, but, but I just remember it tanked. Yeah. But it is a very good record, but it, it didn't do anything. And. Yeah, it's a, it's just seems like even you know with both of them, you know, it was that typical record company stuff around that time. You know, there was shady dealings, everyone getting ripped off, labels. You know, new people come in, they're not into this band, so they drop them, they don't support them, and 
you know, it's just, um, you know, J Jakey, for whatever reason, probably, you know, things that were beyond his control, you know, never catapulted out of Ozzy to, to sort of blow up and do his own thing, unfortunately. Which is a shame. And very similar to the Riot story with, with Fire Down Under, where, you know, the, a band that should have been huge, a record that should have been huge, just never got off the ground. And you would think, you know, with Jakey coming out of Ozzy and, you know, it, it was like a super group. It was, you know, and it, and, and it could have. It could have, should have, could have, would have, you know, as they say. But, yeah. And the real side of Jake's playing uh, on both of the, the Badlands yeah. albums. Yeah. Really, you know, because you're really used to hearing him play that 80s Sunset Strip style uh, lead guitar in Ozzy's band. And then here comes a huge blues sound in yeah. Badlands. Like, wow, like that's how I want Jake playing. Right. A great production, too. Paul O'Neill, I think, uh, produced that. Paul O'Neill, who did yeah. the Sabotage record. Sabotage, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, did some killer records there, yeah. uh, for sure. I, I, a Hall of the Mountain King is just an yeah. awesome record. An incredible album, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's. Badlands was, you know, was, is probably one of those secret records that, you know, didn't get enough uh, accolades as it should, but uh, still a great album for sure. Absolutely. John Bush, you're up. Um, okay, I think the last record I chose, um, even though we already talked about UFO, was um, was the M the first MSG record. So, um, so it's kind of UFO-y, but not. Um, but it was with Shanker and, you know, uh, one of my favorite records, I think at that time, Gary Barden was just one of, I, I really loved him. I thought he was a great singer. He was a killer follow-up to Phil Mogg, who is one of my favorite singers of all time. But, um, you know, Gary came in <clears throat> and, you know, Shanker was, you, know, you didn't have the knowledge of, of, of Michael Shanker other than his background in UFO at that time. Um, and then it was a it was kind of a strange record because there wasn't like an official band. You had Simon Phillips playing, but he really right. wasn't in the band. And then um, um, Mo I, Foster, huh? Mo Foster, Mo Foster on band. Right, who did? Who did? I think he played on like uh, Jeff Beck's their yeah. album, you know. Yeah. And so it was more of a jazzy guy. And so and, did Simon Phillips. And so did Simon Phillips. Yeah. And, and that's an amazing record. There and back is an awesome album. Yeah. Um, so it was a trip that they, he got those guys and then, and then the, they never really were in the band after that because then it got Cozy Powell and, um, Chris Glenn, was it? Yeah. Chris Glenn was in the second album, but, um, okay. I mean, I love that album, you know, I love it, you know, Into the Arena is just amazing, uh, Victim of Illusion, Cry for the Nations, um, you know, Lost Horizons. I mean, that record is just so cool. It has such a cool vibe to it. So that I, I will finish off with, with MSG's first album. All right. Don. That day, listen, that's a, that's a great one. Um, you know, that's a, you know, some of it, we're picking some of these deep cuts just in terms of albums too, which I love. And yeah, still my favorite Chanker album to, to date. And another one where I would tell people, yeah, if you really want to get a boner listening to Michael Shanker play guitar, put that record on. That's just, you know, it's in terms of his solo career, that one does it for me still to this day. I agree, man. A, a, a great album and interesting. Uh, uh, you talk about the band. It wasn't like this complete lineup when, when Michael left UFO or left Scorpions, actually. 
uh, at that time and and did a solo record he was supposed to get he i interviewed michael and he said that they were he was actually talking to this is when aerosmith kind of felt was falling apart he actually auditioned for aerosmith and he said you know admittedly they were both between him and steven tyler they were both their major drug phases that never worked panned out but then they were going to actually get uh, uh tom hamilton and joey kramer to join michael shanker group because wow. it was the same it was david krebs yeah that was putting it all together and he said why don't you know aerosmith is falling apart why don't you get these guys and i guess then aerosmith got back together or whatever so he ended up hiring mo foster and, and simon phillips to wow. do the record but yeah i never heard that that's weird yeah yeah that's well, that was straight out of the mouth of michael shanker so uh <laughs> so take it for what it is but anyway it, i mean it, it kind of makes sense because the timing would be around that that era but great album i thought the production was a bit weak uh roger glover who produced it it was kind oh. of a little weak guitar sound not as uh uh powerful as it could have been but uh great songs armed and ready what it lost horizon it's you know kind of got a, a bit of that stargazer kind of feel yeah. you know just yeah. a great great uh endemic you know uh uh you know classic um a victim of illusion into the arena one of the best uh uh instrumentals uh and is is playing throughout that album is incredible and and again like you say uh, uh gary barton such a great singer uh very no, never really had that power live vocals uh you know uh, a powerful live vocal but uh you know on that studio record he sounds amazing absolutely yeah 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 all right um am i up you're I, actually got, I actually got two albums left for some reason. I think we've only got so. I should I I'll combine these two. Uh, two. I I always go you know for my favorite albums of all time. It's always between well, kind of physical graffiti, Rainbows Rising, and Black Sabbath Sabotage. And it's interesting because all those three records I believe came out in 1976. Wow. Uh, Sabotage might have been 75. I can't recall. I don't have it here handy, but. Um, you know, there, there you go. Oh, that's probably on your <laughs> you know what? I'll let you, I'll let you introduce Sabotage. I'll do uh, Rainbow Rising. Uh, you know, and then you'll do the record that Dio sings on Sabotage. Does he ever? Did he ever sing no, a song no, on no. Sabotage? No, no. <laughs> I was thinking even live. I don't think they did. Uh, that would have been great to hear Dio sing <laughs> "Hole in the Sky" or something. I don't think even with Sabbath he, he ever did a no, song on Sabotage. I, I wanted to catch you though and see if I could. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think Ozzy's best vocals are on Sabotage. But anyway, I'll go. I'll go with Rainbow uh, Rising. I just think it's one of the greatest all-time records. You know, a lot of people say, oh, man, that album only has six songs on it. How could it be so great? But side two, Stargazer, A Light in the Black, right there. I, I You know, it just uh, unbelievable. Uh, the production from Martin Birch to the performance, you know, Dio, uh, Blackmore, Cozy Powell. I mean, just Jimmy Bain, you know, uh, just a, an amazing Tony Carey. Uh, you know, the opening of Terrett Woman, it just starts out with that keyboard solo, so yeah. mystifying, and then it just goes in and to that drum, ging, ging, and just so heavy, the intro. And then Dio's vocals coming in. You know, you had the first Rainbow record, which, you know, was great, but it was more kind of bluesy. They were kind of finding a direction. This album's like, let's just go balls out. This is like a, you know, heavy, heavy record, classic metal. 
Run with the Wolf. I love the the backbone beat on that song, Dan. Again, the you know just the riff on that, and one of you know the lead on that guitar solo that fades into the end. Again, talking how you know Michael Schenker and Phil Mogg did that interplay with guitar vocal. Ronnie Dio and and Blackmore at the end of Run with the Wolf. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. You know, Starstruck and and uh, uh, Do You Close Your Eyes, probably the two weakest songs, but still in their own great songs. They don't really fit that record, so to speak, because you can tell they were more pushed for the radio. Uh, uh, but you listen to Starstruck on it on, on its own. Great catch, super catchy song. Great vocal hook. Uh, cool Dio lyrics. sounds great. Great lyrics. Yeah, wow. great lyrics. Yeah. And Do You Close Your Eyes, kind of the same too, but they're kind of forgotten after you hear side two. Stargazer, greatest metal song ever written, and I'll always go on record to say that. Uh, I think the greatest vocal performance by any artist. I'll go, you know, put paparazzi, put anyone in there. Dio will blow you away on Stargazer. Just <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable performance by a uh, by the whole band. I mean, well, that is a I wish, song. I wish Richie would have come around to the idea of the rainbow thing a little sooner and did it with Ronnie. Yeah. And um, it's it's a bummer that it never really happened again. And Cozy. Yeah. And, well, and Cozy. And, and Jimmy. He could have got that whole lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that they didn't do that because that would have been really, really amazing because not only is his rising incredible, but so is uh, Long Live Rock and Roll. And, yeah. and then he... You know he could have, and he could even song sing songs from like Down to Earth if if you know need be, which is a cool right. as well. Grant Bonnet. Um, you know the first album I wasn't as into, believe it or not, but uh, Rising was is pivotal in my life. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Light in the Black. What a what a you know long song again. Both Stargazer and that you know like eight minute plus songs, but uh, you know the guitar keyboard interplay kind of reminds me of Deep Purple's Burn. You know, but I think, you know, Tony Carey and, and Richie Blackmore, what they, what they do on that song, and when Blackmore just comes into that lead, it's just like set up the keyboards to the solo, then Blackmore comes in and just that mean, nasty strat just comes in. It's just like, it takes you to a whole other level. And, you know, just I, what can you say? I mean, well, you know, one of the beginnings of speed metal, that that song was, was very, very fast for that time. Yeah. 1976, you didn't, you know, uh, have anything. I think as as fast as that at that time, you know, as 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 metal and fast. But anyway, I've said enough on that. Go ahead. <laughs> comments, uh, Don. Well, unfortunately, I got to run, so I'll just get my okay. last pick in, which is also yes, your pick. That. Yes, it's Sabotage. It's my favorite Black Sabbath album. It's Jim Florentine's favorite Black Sabbath album. My favorite Black Sabbath song is Thrill of It All. Um, it's a weird, crazy, acid trip of an album, Megalomania and the Rit, uh, as standouts in terms of, uh, like, you know, those are both seven minute plus acid trips, you know, second music, and uh, and nothing better than the cover. <laughs> it was a one weird cover. And then the back. The back. I, I got to tell you a story, a real so, quick. That was the first album I ever owned, and it was my 11th birthday. My mom said you could pick any album. I think they got me for uh, uh, my birthday. They got me David Bowie, uh, Young Americans had just come out. And I remember listening to it. And I was, I was into Bowie. I liked fame. But the rest of the record I didn't care for. So I returned it. We went to the local Zodies. I don't know if you remember that's what you're talking about. Zodies. Zodies. 
And my mom said, okay, go ahead and pick a record. I remember, is that between that physical graffiti? But that was a double album that cost too much. So I, my cousin, my older cousin turned me on to Sabbath. And I and he said, you got to get Sabotage. And I shot, showed my mom that album cover. And she just looked at it. <laughs> Show that album cover again, their dog. With Bill Ward in the red tights and yeah. Ozzy in the kimono. As Ozzy used to call it, a homo in a kimono. He said, I look like a homo in a kimono, he said at one quote. Uh, but what, what, my mom just looked at that album. And she, she just knew from then on. She's going, okay. My son, that's it. That's it. It's over. A lot of hallucinogens in the making of this album, no doubt. So, oh, absolutely. Well, Sentimental right. Wars, you know, it's classic. So, it was good seeing you, you both. And you too, man. This was fun. This was great. Absolutely. I'm sorry we couldn't carry. On. What was I thinking? Doing ten records. We'll we'll we do a lie, continuation we of this. <laughs> we, we did. Yeah. We did some good stuff. Uh, but we'll to be continued. Thank you both. I know you guys got to jump here. Uh, thank you both for coming thank on. Real, real quick, give your uh, uh, the uh, uh, information on how do people uh, can tune into that Jameson, that Jameson show. Yeah, look at. I mean, we put the the the, um, the episodes go up for subscribers first, but then you can uh, find them on YouTube after um, you know they they've aired uh, on the on Compound Media. You can find us there and get a day pass or or uh, sign up, or like I said, just go into YouTube, type in that Jameson show, and you'll see a lot of great interviews on there. Uh, like I said, including uh, Mr. John Bush himself. And I gotta get I gotta get you on to talk about some rock and roll too. So- uh, I love it. Andy and coming soon. <laughs> ah, yes. Very cool. And John Book, we got armoredsaint.com. Is that uh, our metal blade? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's about, for yeah. sure. ArmoredSaint.com is, is a great place to go. And, uh, you know, uh, Metal Blade has kind of revamped our website and it looks very professional and it, it's very organized. And we're grateful to them that they did a great job with it. So check it out right. and stay in the know with the Saint. Please, I don't know. Very cool. <laughs> well, I know you got to jump too. Don already jumped. Sorry for keeping you guys on so long. But that's all right, Brian. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again soon. All right, John Book. Bye, Bob. All right. Have a See good one. Man.